Okay, so I'm just going to ask you to stand as I read the passage. It's on page 983 in the Pew Bible, and it's Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at 3 through 14 today, but I'm going to actually start in verse 1, which we covered last week. So we'll start in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossia, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth." just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I ask for us today what the Apostle Paul asked for the church in Colossians nearly 2,000 years ago. I ask that we may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you, Father. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may have a seat. There is an inseparable link between knowledge and action. That's what Paul prays for here, and that's what Paul is showing us here. He prays that we would know God and know God's will so that we could walk in a manner worthy of Him, bearing fruit in every good work. We know what we know and what we do are intimately connected. Let me illustrate this with a, with a little story about my son, Judah. I have the privilege of watching my kids on Fridays while my wife goes to work. I have three little kids. Avery is five. Judah just turned four. And then Oakley, my little daughter, is almost one. And so every Friday I get to hang out with my three little kids. It's enjoyable for the most part. I love it. But kids can be chaotic, can be chaotic and crazy. Um, so some Fridays we end up just sitting around the house not doing much. But Other Fridays, I feel motivated and I want to get out of the house and do some adventures. So a few weeks ago, that was my state. I felt motivated, I felt adventurous, and so after breakfast, we're getting things loaded up, we're getting ready to go out on an adventure, and I'm feeling a little bit stressed and cramped for time because we had to get home, we had to get out on our adventure, do our fun, get back home in time for them to have lunch, and then go down for nap time, right? Kids are on a schedule and you have to somewhat abide by that schedule. So we're getting ready to go out the door and I'm feeling the the pressure of the time clock already, and I'm holding Oakley in one arm, and the other arm I'm loading a diaper bag with things. I'm telling my daughter Avery which toys she can and cannot bring on this little adventure, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking about, do we have water bottles? Do we have snacks? Do we have everything that we need? All this is, is happening while Judah, my son, is on the other side of the room trying to put his shoes on. 
And so I'm coaching him. The other kids are ready to go. I pretty much have everything ready to go. I'm doing last-minute details. And I'm from the other side of the house. I'm coaching my son to get his shoes on. And he's kind of whining and putzing. And he's taking his time. And, you know, I'm getting a little bit more frustrated with him. Parents, you, you know this, right? You've been there. I'm, I'm like, come on, buddy. It's time to get going. We're going to be late. If you don't hurry up, you're not going to get a snack. Let's go. I'm kind of pushing him from the other side of the house. Eventually, he had enough, and his whining turned into a verbal, a verbal blast of saying, Dad, I don't know how to. If you know my son, he has a little bit of a southern accent. Um, <laughs> he doesn't say to, he says ta, and I'm sure he'll figure it out. But, but it's true. I, so I look over, and I'm thinking, what's the problem? All you have to do is slip on your flip-flops. But he was trying to put on his tie shoes, as he calls them. His tie shoes are normal shoes that have laces, and he doesn't know how to tie his shoes, so his frustration is coming from a lack of knowledge. He desires to get his shoes on, get his shoes tied, and to be ready to go, but he didn't have the proper knowledge and the proper experience to do it. His actions couldn't match his desires because he lacked knowledge, and he lacked experience with that knowledge. There is an inseparable link between knowledge and action. And that's precisely what the Apostle Paul is addressing today in our passage. As we go through the book of Colossians, we're going to see many, many different areas that the good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ hits us. And today, it hits us with the link between knowledge and action. Paul, as it says here in verse 1, Paul is writing this letter. Paul's an apostle. He's, he's functioning kind of like a district superintendent or district staff to the church in Colossia. So Paul and Timothy, two pastors, two apostles, are writing this letter to a local church about 100 miles from Ephesus where Paul spent three years and planted churches. And it, our records show us that Paul likely never went to Colossia. He spent his time in Ephesus and maybe went to some of the other cities around Ephesus. But Epaphras, as we see in verse 7, is the local pastor of the church in Colossia. And so Paul, likely, it's likely that Epaphras came to Paul in Ephesus, that Paul shared the good news of Jesus Christ with Epaphras when they were in Ephesus. Epaphras went back home to Colossia, planted the church, and pastored this church. And so Paul and Timothy, they're working together, and they're kind of working like district staff. Our district, the Evangelical Free Church of America, the North Central, Central District, we have a new district superintendent. His name is Brian Ferrone. I'm really excited to get to know him. He loves our church even though he doesn't know us and he's looking out for us. He's, he's a guy who if we were straying off course, he would come in and write us a letter. Dan Moose, our church planting coach who's been here before, he helps us stay on track. Dave Lindy, a guy at our office, he helps us stay on track. So that's what's happening here in the context of this book. Paul and Timothy are writing a letter to the church in Colossia. They heard probably from Epaphras that this church is going off course. A little bit. Last week, I, I used the image of a parking lot without any lines. If you've ever tried to park in a parking lot without lines, it's crazy and chaotic. And a lack of a lack of structure, a lack of boundary, it causes things to to spin out of control. And so Paul here, because he cares for this church, he's writing them this book to give them some boundaries, to give them some structure, to give them some lines. He's writing to combat some wrong teaching, some false teaching, which if they don't get right, they will veer off course. If you're thinking about a highway, um, they'll, they'll go off the edge or they'll go into the middle and hit oncoming traffic. Or a parking lot, they'll park in every which way and it won't make any sense. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossia to help them understand what's true and right and good. And it produces good news for the church. 2,000 years ago, 
and it produces good news for us here and now today. The specific teaching that Paul is addressing here in this, in this passage, and there's a couple different heresies that he'll address as we go throughout the book, we'll see some. But specifically, what I think he's addressing here in chapter 1 is what's called Gnosticism. It was, a, it was a common heresy in the early church, Gnosticism. It comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge, and it's kind of a head knowledge. It's a mysterial, mysterious philosophical knowledge. It taught that the spirit is good, but material is bad. And so what's creeping into this church here in Colossians, this young church, this new church that Paul cares about, that he's trying to inform them on what's good and right and true, what's creeping into their thinking is Gnosticism, this kind of head knowledge. They want to grow in their understanding of things, but they think that the spiritual world is good and the physical world is bad. And so it's, it's becoming their religion to pursue knowledge. Again, the Greek word gnosis, it's an abstract knowledge. It, it means a head knowledge. It doesn't really have to do with experience and action. It just has to do with knowing things up here and, and trying to gain power over people by knowing more than them. Not, um, th- this kind of knowledge, it sounds like I understand the theory of shoe tying. I've just never done it myself. How ridiculous is that, right? I think my son understands the theory of shoe tying. He can't wear his tie shoes unless he gets them tied. He just can't do it. Gnosis, this this head knowledge, it sits still. It doesn't move to action. And even if it tries to move to action, it can't accomplish what it desires because it sits in the head. It doesn't have the experience behind it. It doesn't have a holistic knowledge. Gnosis can puff up to pride. You know things in your head, and so you can win an argument, you can out-debate somebody, and it puffs you up with pride. Or it can tear you down because you don't know as much as others, and, and you wish you did. And so gnosis is not the type of knowledge that we are going after. Gnosis is, it bears a little effect on how we live. It bore a little effect on how the church lived. That's why Paul is addressing it. He's saying, I don't want you to grow in just head knowledge. I don't want you to, to, to give in to Gnosticism, to a head knowledge where it bears little effect on how you live. Rather, I want you to grow in epinosis, which is the word that Paul uses for knowledge here in this passage. Epinosis. He, had, he adds the preposition epi to the word gnosis. So gnosis was the word used by the Greek philosophers. It was the word used by the Gnostics, and it was the word that was creeping into the local church, kind of helping, causing them to veer off course. And so Paul, he adds this preposition to gnosis, epinosis. This means a precise knowledge, a specific knowledge, an experiential knowledge, a knowledge of the head, heart, and hands, this holistic knowledge. And he uses it twice here in this passage, verse 10, verse 9 and 10. I'm going to read that again for us. Verse 9 and 10, Paul writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the epinosis the knowledge, the holistic, the experiential, the, the knowledge that affects your head, your heart, and your hands. It affects what you know it and it affects what you do. May you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the epinosis of God, the holistic knowledge of God. Epinosis sounds like, I understand the theory of shoe tying. 
and I've tied shoes many times. Would you like me to teach you how to tie your shoe? Should we tie it together? Should I, can I empower you to tie your own shoes so that you can go on and do this as well? Epinosis moves us from the head into the heart, out through the hands. It, it takes our knowledge and puts it into action. Paul is teaching us as a church to have epinosis, a precise knowledge of God and his will, so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And isn't that what we want as Christians? We want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Most of my counseling with Christians is that they're frustrated that they can't walk the way that God desires them to, that they continue to wrestle with sin, that they continue to not know God's will for their lives or God's will in general. Most of my, meeting with peop- most of my meetings with people entail, I-, I just wish I knew what God wanted from me. I wish I knew what God had for me. I wish I knew how I could follow God down this path. And here Paul is saying that we can have confidence in God's will. As we get to know God, he reveals to us his will. He gives us epinosis, a holistic knowledge, a knowledge that's both intellectual, it's emotional, we feel it, and it's action-driven. We live it out. We put it in action. So I want to ask three questions. What is epinosis or God's will? What is it biblically? How do we grow in epinosis? And what are the results of epinosis? So the, f- the first one, what is biblical epinosis? Well, it, it is a holistic knowledge of God's will, but we can summarize it with the gospel. It is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. The primary epinosis, the primary knowledge of God's will is his will revealed for us in his son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, the true and only, came on our behalf. He lived the life that we couldn't. He died the death that we should have. And in him, we have this new identity, which we looked at last week. If you look back at verse 1 and 2, we looked at this identity piece last week. Verse 2, to the saints. In Jesus Christ, we are saints. In Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters. In Jesus Christ, we have received grace and we can give grace. In Jesus Christ, we have peace and we can give peace. In Jesus Christ, we have a Father in heaven who loves us unconditionally. Biblical epinosis, biblical wisdom, a holistic wisdom from Scripture starts with the gospel. It doesn't start with answering kind of our secondary minutiae questions. Um, it's fun asking hard questions, right? I hope those of you who went to the Ask Hard Questions class enjoyed it. And it's great engaging those questions and it's good to, to push us in, in our knowledge and our understanding of our faith. But we're going for an epinosis, a holistic knowledge, just not a knowledge that knows it up here, but something that transforms us and, and, it, and it bears fruit in every area of our life. So a biblical epinosis is knowing the gospel. Look at chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Uh, actually, well, I'll just start in verse 25. Paul writes, we better go verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's a confusing statement. Matt's going to handle it in a couple weeks, so good luck, Matt. <laughs> I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. There's that idea again of epinosis, fully known, this full knowledge, this precise knowledge, 
verse 26, to make this fully known, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's true epinosis. Gnostics, Gnosis knowledge is kind of, it's, it's pursuing these mysteries and these theories and philosophy but epinosis, God's will revealed to us, is Jesus Christ, the mystery hidden for the ages but now revealed to us. Epinosis is a specific knowledge of God's will. God's will is to redeem a people for himself, and that redemption comes through his one and only son, Jesus. So what is biblical epinosis? It starts with Jesus, it's through Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. It's all wrapped up into Jesus the Christ. How do we grow in epinosis? So if it is Jesus, how do we grow in epinosis? Well, it's a gift from God, and we only grow in epinosis through God. Look at this. It's uh, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Paul knows God. Paul has epinosis because God revealed it to him. God showed himself to Paul to Saul powerfully on the road to Damascus and changed his life and changed his name and he became Paul. Epinosis starts with God. It's a gift from God. We see that in verse 1. We also see that in verse 3 as Paul prays for the church. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. We thank God. It was God's doing. God revealed his son Jesus. God opened up your mind and your heart and your eyes to see him and to savor him. So if it's a gift from God, verse 12 reveals this for us as well. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I love that. God qualifies us. Jesus qualifies us. Our goodness doesn't qualify us. I mean, if you're, if you're a runner trying to qualify for a race, we have a friend who ran in the Boston Marathon this last year, and she had to qualify for that by hitting a certain time and meeting certain checkpoints. How do, we, how do we qualify before God? Not by living righteously, not by living morally, not by following the law, but how? In Jesus Christ. He has qualified us. It's his work on our behalf. Jesus is the one who qualifies us to stand before God the Father. So epinosis, the knowledge of God's will, is a gift from God to us. So we trust him, we pursue him, we seek him. We grow in epinosis by his Spirit, the Holy Spirit living within us, revealing God's will to us, making him known to us. We grow in epinosis through the Word, through opening up his Word, studying the Word, seeing him in his Word, praying that God would, that God would illuminate the Word of Scripture to us, that we would see Jesus Christ, that we would grow in a holistic knowledge of God's will. And we grow in epinosis in Jesus' body, the church. You don't just take your Bible and go off on your own and study it and come up with this grandiose plan and then tell your community what God is asking you to do. You can take your Bible and go study it, spend time with God, and, and then bring it to your community and say, I think this is what God is revealing to me. I think this was what God's will for me in this next season of life. What do you think? You know me well. You care about me. Let's pray through this together. We grow in epinosis through the Holy Spirit, through God's Word, and through the community, the family of brothers and sisters that he's giving us. So biblical epinosis is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. 
We grow in epinosis, in the knowledge of God, by trusting God, by pursuing God, by living within his spirit, his word, and his community. And then what are the results of epinosis? There's 12 in this text that I see, and I felt, compared, I felt compelled to share all of them, so buckle up, I'm going to fly through it. 12 results that I see of epinosis in this text alone, and there's many more in Scripture. And this is the good news. Okay, so this is where we, where we begin to understand the good news. What we know about this text is that God wants to have a knowledge of his will. He wants to reveal to us in epinosis. He wants to know him intimately, holistically, with our head, with our heart, and with our hands. And then the good news is, what does that mean for us? What's the good news of having epinosis? What's the good news of the gospel? It's good news that our activity is now transformed. When we used to want to be able to tie our shoe, but we didn't have the epinosis to do it, now, uh, if, if you liken that to wanting to please God to, as verse 10 says, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. So if you are a Christian who wants to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, how do you do that? You need epinosis. You need knowledge of God's will. And then knowledge of God's will results in you living your life in a way that pleases the Lord. And if you're not a Christian here today who, who um, doesn't have epinosis and maybe you don't have the desire to do or know God's will, I'm going to ask you to look at the results of knowing God's will and ask you, is, isn't that what you want in your life? Don't you want this kind of community? Don't you want this kind of fruit? Can you see this as good news for yourself and for the world? So what are the results of epinosis? There's 12. We'll start with the first one. Right here in verse 3, Paul, Paul teaches us some of these and he gives us some of these as an example. Number one, it is thanksgiving for the family, the church family. Because Paul has the knowledge of God's will, he is giving thanks to God the Father for those who make up the church. He says, we always thank God. Paul is thanking God for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Paul is a thankful person. When we understand God's will, when we grow in God's will, when he grants us the gift of epinosis, we become a thankful people who thank God for the family that he's put us in. Isn't that amazing? What if we as a church were praying for one another, thanking God for one another? Beautiful picture of what the church is and what epinosis, what knowledge of God's will does for us. The second one, prayer for the family. So there's thanksgiving for the family and there's prayer for the family. We always thank God, so this is an attitude of thankfulness, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So Paul and Timothy are thanking God for the Christians in their lives, for the brothers and sisters in their lives, and they're also praying on their behalf. They're petitioning for their brothers and sisters. And I love Paul's prayer. He doesn't pray that God would make them healthy, wealthy, and happy. He doesn't pray that God would keep them from harm. He doesn't pray, he doesn't pray kind of selfish, worldly prayers. Look at verse 9 and 10. This is what Paul prays. As he's praying for the family, he prays this way. And so from the first day that we heard, and what they've heard is the, that the Colossians are responding to the gospel. From the first day that we heard of your faith, that we heard that you are responding to Jesus, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the epinosis of God. 
He's praying that the church would be sanctified, that we, that we would be sharpened, that we would know God, that we would understand God, that we would live for God. He doesn't say, would you remove them from harm's way? Would you remove them from danger? Would you make them happy and wealthy and happy? He says, would you give them an increased understanding of your will, that they may walk and live according to you? The third characteristic of epinosis is faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 4. It says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. This is an important note. This, this is what makes all of this possible is faith in Christ, right? I mean, we've been looking at that phrase, in Christ, over and over again. It seems like every week for the past couple weeks. And it's in verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. Since we, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. This is a position that we have. We are in Christ. But he says that they are rejoicing that a characteristic of epinosis is faith in Christ. It's not just faith in faith, or it's not faith in some vague God. It's not often as the world uses the word faith, or even Christians sometimes, it seems like they're praying for just faith in, in what? Faith in what we want to happen, faith in some vague hopes or dreams, no, it's specifically faith in Jesus Christ. A result of epinosis of God's will is that we would have increased faith in Jesus. He's the one who's paid the way for, who has paid the penalty for our sin and has paved the way for our salvation. So a result of epinosis is that we would have increased faith, a specific faith defined by a substance. The object of our faith is what, what is important, not the veracity of which we exercise our faith. It's the object. Do you trust in Christ even a little bit? That's much better than trusting in someone other than Christ a lot. The object of our faith is what matters, not the amount. And Jesus is the object of our faith. So as we grow in God's will, we will experience increased faith in Jesus Christ. Fourth characteristic is love for the family. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. So they're thankful for the saints. They're praying for the saints. They love the saints. Beautiful picture of the church and the gospel and what we are to be as a family. There's great continuity in the scriptures as well. Jesus himself in John 13 prays that we would have a love for one another. And he says, for, for the world will know you are my disciples when you love one another. Paul, right here, is expressing love for his brothers and sisters. Pastor John, in 1 John chapter 4, he writes this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the result of epinosis. This is what the knowledge of God's will does for us. It gives us a deep abiding love for one another. Notice it doesn't say like. You don't you're not necessarily going to like everyone in your Christian family, but you have something much greater to give them and to receive from them, love. It's not contingent on your personality. It's not contingent on your, your um, shallow value that if you can offer them something that they appreciate. It's contingent on who Jesus has made you, a family. It's a deep and abiding love. The fifth thing, the fifth result of epinosis is hope in heaven. Paul goes on, verse 5, 
because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Epinosis results in us having an a unshakable hope. And our hope is in heaven, it's not here on earth. We become miserable people if we, jo- if we pursue the joyless pursuits of the here and now, right? I mean, there, there's some pursuits in the here and now, some earthly pursuits that can give us shallow happiness. There's a difference between happiness and joy, though. And so our hope needs to be in something eternal. Our hope needs to be in something sure. If we are pursuing happiness based off of a relationship and those relationships fail or they're taken from us or somebody moves, our hope is gone. Our joy, our happiness is gone. We need something deeper to hope in. If our hope is in finances and the stock market crashes and we lose everything, then our hope is gone. If our, if our hope is in a better future, a greater job that may be provided for us, that may never come. But here Paul says, knowing God's will empowers us to hope in heaven, something that is sure and steady. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says that it's undefiled, unfading, and imperishable. Heaven is eternal and unshakable. That's where our hope should be as we get to know God's will our hope increasingly becomes an eternal life with Jesus Christ, not on the temporary here and now, which can be here today and gone tomorrow. Sixth result of epinosis is gospel fruit. Look at verse 6. He says, um, verse, the second half of verse 5, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, the good news, the euangelion, which has come to you and as indeed in the whole world and is bearing fruit and growing. So a result of the knowledge of God's will is actually the increase and the growth of the good news of the gospel that more and more people would hear about Jesus Christ, that more and more people would walk their life in a manner worthy of him as they get to know him. That the good news would go out around the world as we looked at it in the book of Acts. You will be my witnesses going into the world, spreading the good news through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are a testimony to this. Epinosis, knowledge of God's will, does result in good fruit. We're here 2,000 years later after this was written, studying this, talking about Jesus, singing songs about him because God's word is true and the gospel has grown. It has bore good fruit and we are a piece of of that. The seventh thing of epinosis is understanding grace. He continues in verse 6. So you'll hear the gospel, it bears good fruit and grows as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Again, grace, charis, it's God's favor towards us. As we understand God's will, we understand that God is favorable towards us, that he reaches out to embrace us, that he welcomes us in. And then we extend that to others. We understand grace. It's not just a word to us. It's not just a a, a hopeful idea. It's something that we've experienced. God has reached down and he's embraced us. And he he says, you have my favor. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want you near. I love you despite your shortcomings. And then he sends us out to embrace others in the same way. We begin to understand grace. We begin to experience it, not just know about it. The eighth is strength with all power. So we're jumping down now to verse 11 because in the middle here, he's giving us the context which we already covered about epinosis. Another result 
of epinosis is that we may be strengthened with all power. True knowledge, knowledge is um, power, they say, right? Heard that phrase, knowledge is power? That is, in fact, true. That's the whole point of this text, that we have the greatest knowledge in the gospel, in the scriptures, on the face of the earth. And it's not just the head knowledge. It's a holistic, epinosis knowledge. We've received strength and power from the Holy Spirit with the knowledge that he's given us. And, and this also strengthened us, strengthens us to endure undesirable circumstances. The ninth characteristic of epinosis. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance. So the strength that we get through the gospel, through a knowledge of God's will, is a strength to endure undesirable circumstances. It's not to merely leave them, though sometimes we do need to remove ourselves or we need to get out of undesirable circumstances. But the glory of the gospel is that we can go into undesirable circumstances or we can sit in the middle of undesirable circumstances and we can have strength with all power to endure in those circumstances. Because God is faithful, and God has given us power, and God has given us the ability to endure undesirable circumstances for his glory and our good and our growth. One commentator, and he goes on, okay, so endurance and patience. Um, one, one commentator that I read kind of broke these two up, and I, and I like it, so I'm going to break them up. He says, endurance is about circumstances, and patience is about undesirable people. So, the power that we get from God gives us endurance to bear undesirable circumstances, whatever may cause those circumstances. And the power that we're given through the knowledge of God's will is patience with undesirable people. Any of you know any undesirable people? No? Only me. Only I know undesirable people. Um, we all have some undesirable people in our lives, right? And if you don't know anyone, you're probably the one. So um, <laughs> praise God that other people have patience with you. He gives us patience with undesirable people. How good is the gospel? When the world would say, discard people, get rid of them, those who are undesirable, don't waste your time with them. Get some good influences, get some positive role models, and forget the people who drag you down. Forget the people who are unlovely. Forget the people who are un un unlikable. The gospel says that God empowers us to give patience to those who need patience. Amen? Sometimes we're that, and sometimes we need that. And the gospel is the answer. It is the good news. It gives us patience with undesirable people. Number 11, it gives us joy to find in every station. The reason I worded that this way is because we sing a song, Jesus, I, my cross have taken, is the name of the song, where that's one of the lyrics. And, and we see it here. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So regardless of our station, our situation in life, the place that we're stopped, whether it's an undesirable circumstance or an undesirable person, we can find joy in the gospel. The good news is, if we know Jesus, if we cling to Jesus, if the fruit of God is, is if we're experiencing the fruit of the gospel, as verse 6 says, that it's gone into the whole world bearing fruit and growing. If the good news is growing in us, if it's bearing fruit in us, we can find joy in every station of life. doesn't matter what's happening. We can find joy. And it doesn't mean that things, might not, that things might be hard. 
They will be. We experience undesirable circumstances. We live with undesirable people. And yet, in that, this is the hope of the gospel. Where the world can't find joy in those situations, we can find deep, abiding, unshakable joy. It may not come out as happiness. It may not mean that you're skipping through life, singing a song, um, smiling at everybody that you see. But deep down, you have an internal, unshakable peace because God has given you joy. And then lastly, it's good news for every situation. The epinosis, the knowledge of God's will, gives us good news for every situation. Look at verse 12 through 14 as Paul closes out. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Again, think about that. He's qualified us. We don't qualify ourselves. So come to Jesus. Repent. Lay down your sin. Receive his righteousness. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has sent Jesus. Jesus has forgiven our sin. The Spirit has revealed him to us, and in him we have good news for all of our activity. We can walk with epinosis. We can live with, knowledge of, with the knowledge of God's will. We can bear good fruit in every work. Don't you want that? Don't you want thanksgiving? Don't you want joy? Don't you want hope? Don't you want faith? Don't you want love? Don't you want endurance? Don't you want patience? Don't, don't you want all of these things? I can't even remember them, so hopefully you took some notes or you can email me. There's 12. Hopefully you remember one. The one thing to remember is that as we get to know God, he bears good fruit in our lives. We experience good fruit and we can pass good fruit to others. He is the good news. He gives us good news for every situation. No matter what we're in, he gives us that. Let's practice the good news now by remembering Jesus because it's all wrapped up in him. Without him, there's not good news We will continue to pursue the things of the world. We will continue to come up empty. Some of you are here today because you know that the path of the world doesn't lead to hope. It doesn't lead to peace. It doesn't offer the 12 things that we just looked at. But Jesus Christ is that and he offers that. So if we want to walk according to the will of God in a manner that pleases him, we need a holistic understanding an experience of him. One of the things that he's told us is to remember him by observing communion. So as we do this, it's a chance for us to remember him, to remember the gospel. Communion is simply a visible reminder of an invisible reality. It's a visible reminder. The cracker represent, re- represents Jesus' body, which was given for us. And the cup with red juice represents his blood, which was shed for us, as it says in verse 14, for the forgiveness of sins. So as we take this, let it be a reminder to you of what's true of you. That if you are in Christ, you are growing in a knowledge of God and his will, and the good news is bearing fruit in your life. I'm going to pray, and the ushers are going to come forward, and we're going to pass out the cracker first and hold it as it comes, and we'll partake it together partake of it together, and then we'll pass out the cup, and as that comes out, hold it, and we'll take that together as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done on our behalf. 
We pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you, Father. We pray these things in your precious and holy name. And as we take communion, as we partake of this visible sign of an invisible reality, I pray that you would nourish our spirits this morning, that we would be reminded of what you've done on our behalf, and that we would walk in a manner worthy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.